Amen. Love that song. Beautiful song for the offering this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 5 is our final text in the series, Good Will Toward Men. And we've talked about uh, the shepherds these last few weeks, these humble folks who were the recipients of goodwill. Because of what had been shared to them by the angel, they had a privilege even a responsibility to share it with all the people they knew. Yeah, that's what we're talking about in the last message of the series here today, the responsibility of goodwill. We're in 2 Corinthians 5, and if you're able, would you stand for the reading this morning? We're going to read there in verses 14 through 21. For the love of Christ constraineth us, Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by the... Excuse me, I'm in the wrong... I skipped a line. Let's start verse 18 again. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And let's talk about the responsibility of goodwill this morning. Father, would you bless us now? During this time together, we thank you for each one who's here. And we know that we've heard of of many who are sick today, uh, as well as those affected by the snow. We pray that you would help uh, all those who are having struggles with health to, health, to feel better. We uh, pray for the Nelson's new baby boy, that you would be with him, and the NICU this morning there at the hospital, that his breathing would stabilize and that all would be well. We pray for uh, our other expectant mothers here at Centennial and those who are traveling during these holidays. So much for us to pray for and, and so much for us to be thankful for. And we truly are thankful today for goodwill toward men. Pray that you would bless us now. We ask in your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This chapter is a powerful passage to us, and it really gives us insight into what Christian ministry is. I believe that the Bible teaches that God wants all of his children to be in ministry. And he has designed every believer with a spiritual gift to use in the body of Christ. You have been given spiritual DNA just like you've been given physical DNA. Now, I read the stats on DNA, and it's just incredible that 
inside one tiny little DNA strand that you can't even see with the naked eye that there are three billion character codes. Is that unbelievable? Every cell in your body has that DNA code. So 75 trillion cells in your body each have DNA code, and that strand goes out three billion characters. If you could read it, and you read one character every second, and you didn't stop to eat or drink or anything else, and you knew how to read those characters, it would take you 39 years just to read one strand of your own DNA. God made you that way. Now, a God who could make you that way, that complex physically, has also given you a spiritual DNA to be able to interact with certain people who have the same likes and dislikes and tastes and emotions that you have, people who have shared experiences with you, even people who have the same sports team t-shirt on as you. For some reason, they like the Miami Dolphins, and you did too. You're the only two people in the United States, and you happen to run into each other, right? And, and so we all have this physical DNA, but we also have spiritual DNA that God has given us to be who he wants us to be. And God has a plan for us, each of us, to spread goodwill to those closest to us, those that we barely know, and those that will have an intersection with our life in days to come. Today we're going to talk about the special ministry that has been expressly delivered by God to each of us. Because we're recipients of God's goodwill toward men, we have the awesome privilege and therefore responsibility of passing that goodwill on to the people around us every day. We're going to see it in four parts. The notes are provided in your bulletin this morning. Let's look, first of all, at the reason we minister. The reason we minister. I want you to look again at verses 14 and 15, because this passage deals with the motive behind our service to the Lord. Look what it says in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us. Verse 15, it says that we should henceforth live not unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. Love really is the highest motive in the universe. It is the driving force behind our relationships with both men and God. My wife showed me a Facebook picture and post last night from two of our former graduates from Centennial Baptist School who got married yesterday. Uh, Izzy and Monica got married yesterday down in Texas, and she showed me the picture, and I, oh, yeah, that's nice, and, and she said something about she's a hopeless romantic, and she's so happy that they finally got married because they've liked each other for five or six years or whatever. And uh, so she's much more of a romantic on that stuff than I am. And maybe just in general. Could be possibly. I don't know. Please no laughter at this point in the service. But, um, but she was talking about how it's so neat that those kids have cared about each other all these years. And finally they got married. And so there's 
True love is available. But love is the driving force behind everything we do at the highest motive level. It's what propels our service to the Lord. Instead of living unto ourselves, we live unto the one who gave his life for us. That's what the picture is from verses 14 and 15. They asked some children what love is. And they got some fascinating responses. Here's what Rebecca said. She's age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Well, that's a pretty good definition. Here's another one. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's what Billy said. He's four years old. Chrissy said this. She's six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. That's love. That is the love that my daughter Autumn has with me. I take most of her french fries and give none back. Um, Terry said this, age four, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. I guess so. Uh, Danny had, had this take on love. He's age seven. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy, and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. <laughs> Nika said this, age six. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. <laughs> wow, <laughs> pretty profound right there. Noel, age seven, said this, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and then he wears it every day. <laughs> that's love. <laughs> I mean, that's real love right there. Tommy, age six. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. I mean, if you can be friends with somebody that you know really well, that is love. That's true love. Claire, age six. My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anyone else kissing me to sleep at night. That's what was her take on love. Elaine got this, age five. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Amen. That is love. And uh, I believe in that kind of love. Right? I, I truly believe in that kind of love. Jessica, age eight. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. So that's what she said. And that's their take on love. You know, kids begin to understand love. I mean, in fact, as, as parents, one of the best days of your life is when your child, your little boy or your little girl says, I love you. Even though your child probably doesn't even understand what it means yet, the words are so important. And Sophie's starting to say, I love you. I love you, she says. And then she says, chocolate cookie? So she has no idea what love is, but she's learning to say the words, and the words are special, right? And even the feeling or the thought of love is special to us. 
But when it comes to God's love and our love for God, it really is the highest motive that there is. And I hope you'll consider your motive for serving God with your life this morning. Would we serve God or do we serve God out of fear, afraid of what will happen if we don't give him enough of our time or effort? Well, that'd be a horrible reason to serve God. And maybe do we serve God out of a sense of duty to push through even when we don't feel like it or to grow our character or to show our character? Uh, maybe do it out of reward, maybe a pat on the back from somebody who sees you, or you could be looking ahead to those rewards in heaven, and uh, that's not a horrible motive, but there's nothing that will drive you like love. The love of Christ constrains us. Now, I looked that word up because it's a pretty rare word, and it's the word syneko in Greek, syneko. Uh, S-Y-N is, is a root or a prefix that means to come together, to bring together. And we use it in words like synthetic or synthesis or somebody give me another S-Y-N word. Synergy, yes. Go ahead, I'm listening. So what is it? In sync, the, the singing group, right? In sync. <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew that Sheila would be in sync, right? A little Justin Timberlake and all those guys. Is that the wrong group? Is that Boys to the Hood or Boys to Men or what, what's it called? I don't know any of those groups. So all the boy bands. All right, so you're thinking of all these S-Y-N words out there. And I totally messed you up now. I don't even know what I just said. Somebody can tell me afterward what I said. Uh, it's veiled language there. But Seneco. And here's what Seneco means. I looked it up. It means to hold together completely. To hold together completely. So you read in this verse, for the love of Christ holds us together completely. That's a pretty, pretty awesome thought. The love of Christ is what holds us together completely. Love is what ties us to Jesus. But look again at verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. So it's not our love that ties us to him. It's his love that ties us to him. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent on him. He's the one who holds us together through his love. And so love reminds us of the great sacrifice made by Jesus for us and compels us to minister goodwill in his name. And so we see this matter of the reason we minister. But then we look further down in the passage and we see the reconciliation we minister. Skip down to verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us. And I underlined that word reconciled because it's going to show up a lot here. Reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So there's the word again as a noun. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word 
of reconciliation. Verse 20 is going to say reconciled again. And so we talk here about reconciliation. What does it mean? Why does it matter? Love, we said, describes the motive for our ministry. But reconciliation describes the message of our ministry. I wrote beside this verse in my Bible, hope is our business. Hope is our business. And what business in the world do you get to have where you say hope is our business? As believers, that's what we have. Hope is our business. That's what we share. That's what we give out. We have the honor of letting people know that the reconciliation with God is available to the human race through the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you ever gotten your bank statement and discovered that the balance that the bank described is different than the balance in your check register? If that's ever happened, then you know something about the term reconciliation. The error has to be chased down and corrected. It's called reconciliation. Now, most of the time, it seems like the error isn't the bank's fault. But, you know, it could be. Sometimes there's a bank error. In fact, monopoly, bank error in your favor. How much is that worth? Yes, we've got a dispute on this. I think you guys are going to have to play monopoly against each other. Uh, somebody told me the other day, who told me the longest Monopoly game in the world was how long? Did somebody in here tell me that? 70 days. It was Corey that told me that. I knew somebody in here told me that. 70 days. I said, what in the world? What? 70 days. Now, how many of you have ever played Monopoly and it felt like it had been 70 days? Okay, so it's kind of the thing. Bank error in your favor. That hardly ever happens. But it's kind of like what happens with the reconciliation God has to offer. And when we talk about this term reconciliation in this chapter and in the New Testament, here's what we have to figure out and realize. The error is absolutely not God's fault. The error is totally our fault. God has no fault in this matter at all. He cannot and He will not change. He is perfectly holy in every area. We're the ones that need reconciled. The good news is that God, the Bible says, was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. So God has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and now we've been given this incredible ministry of reconciliation. What a terrific ministry. Now, I think that being a bill collector would be a very difficult job. It's one of those jobs that I would think would be hard. And I'm sure that the people who do it struggle with the emotions and the stories that they hear every day. And maybe they get hardened to it and they become cynical. But how could it not affect you when you hear these stories? And we can tell God the stories of our lives no matter how horrible they are, you know, it doesn't change the status of our sinfulness. Telling him our story brings us no closer to reconciliation. There are people all over the world who went to a church or some place, some location this morning to pray. And many of them 
brought their heart before some deity. But you know, that doesn't change anything. That doesn't reconcile anyone to God. You know, a job I think I'd love, I'd love to be a reverse bill collector. I think I'd hate to be a bill collector, but I think I would love to be a reverse bill collector. And this is where you get to call people up and say, hey, I'm calling up uh, from your credit card company this morning, and you are uh, Mr. So-and-so, and your account ends in these four digits. And you know that massive bill you owe from buying too many Christmas presents? Well, it's been paid. The account is reconciled if you will just accept these terms. Now, that would be a cool job, wouldn't it? You know, if you had that job in the United States, most of the people that you called would not believe you. They would think that you're tricking them or that there's some type of hidden language that makes it where you're going to owe it next month. Right? They want to read the fine print on this. You know, when it comes to this reconciliation that God's given, there's no fine print. This is the offer. It's right here. God has been reconciled through Jesus, and the terms are available to everybody. And when you think about it, reverse bill collector is the job we've been given as God's children. We get to tell the world that they don't have to pay for their sins. Jesus came to reconcile us back to God, and all we have to do is accept the terms. And so that's the reconciliation we minister. But then there's the representation we minister. Now this is in verse number 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. There's a very interesting word here, ambassadors. That's a, that's a great word. We're ambassadors for Christ. We are sent by God to represent Christ on this earth. We have been sanctioned by the King of Kings to speak to others on behalf of Christ with a word of reconciliation. As ambassadors, we don't reflect our own identities and aspirations but the identity and aspiration of our Savior. In other words, the ministry of reconciliation is not about us. It's about the one who sent us. And so love is the motive. Reconciliation is the message. But being an ambassador is the method for sharing goodwill toward men. I doubt if anyone in here this morning, and I don't want to you know, downplay your intellect in here. But I doubt if anyone in here this morning can tell me the name of the American ambassador to Brazil. Does anyone know it? American ambassador to Brazil. Her name is Liliana Ialdi. Now, I promise I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't looked it up. I didn't know it either. Know her from Adam. Uh, we don't know her. But we do know who she represents. She represents the United States of America, specifically the president himself. That's what all our ambassadors do. And it doesn't really matter who she is. It matters who she represents. How about the American ambassador to Kenya? You know who that is? 
I didn't think so. His name is Robert Godek. I doubt if anybody would have remotely known that. I didn't know it either. He was nominated in 2012 by President Obama in September, confirmed by the Senate and sworn in by Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in January of 2013. And nobody even knows who he is. It's all about who he represents. You know, the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were made an ambassador for Christ. You were confirmed, sent, and empowered by the Spirit of God with the most wonderful ministry there could possibly be, showing other people the good news that their debt has been paid. All they have to do is agree to the terms. What are the terms, you ask? Well, it's simple. I have to admit I'm a sinner. I have to understand that there is a penalty for my sin. The Bible calls it eternal death. I must embrace the fact that Jesus came to pay for my sins on the cross and realize that he now offers me the gift of eternal life. And just like you accepted a Christmas present a few days ago, all you have to do to be reconciled to God is to accept the gift of eternal life by asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior, by turning from your way to his way. That's the message we share. And so we've seen that the motive is love. The message is reconciliation. But the method for getting that message out there is ambassadors. That's God's only method for reaching the world is us, his children. He wants us to give out words of reconciliation. He wants us to have the ministry of reconciliation. But it's really all about this fourth part of the message, and it's verse 21, the Redeemer we minister. The Redeemer we minister. The entire message comes together in one man, the man Christ Jesus. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, the gospel is not some historical theory. The gospel is not a set of religious laws or catechisms. It's not a decree from any priest or pope. It's not a list of good works that must be performed. The gospel has nothing to do with this church or any other church anywhere. The gospel is a person. It's Jesus who became sin for us so that we could become righteous before God. He is the man, literally. The promise of the manger that we've talked about this Christmas season became the passion of the cross and then the power of the resurrection. Jesus became sin for us. Think about that. Jesus became sin for us. More than any belief system or doctrine, his story is the hope that we offer to the world. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is salvation. Those are the good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. But as the Bible says in Romans, how 
shall they hear without an ambassador? How will they hear without somebody who is sent to tell them? How will they know if we don't give them the message of reconciliation? When you think about what Jesus did for you, doesn't the love of Christ constrain you to live for his purposes? The love of Christ holds us together in his purpose. I read a story about a Dutch diamond collector, and he was seeking a very rare diamond. Well, a dealer in New York by the name of Mr. Winston had heard about this diamond dealer, and he contacted him to let him know that he thought that he had the diamond he was looking for. He believed that the one he had was the one that could fit in this collection. And so the diamond collector arrived in New York, and Mr. Winston had his salesman present the diamond. The salesman went out, and he described all the technical aspects of the diamond. He described all the minute details and every tiny little scruff and every tiny little nook of the diamond. But within minutes, the diamond collector rose and he got up and said, I'm not interested, it's not what I'm looking for. And Mr. Winston was watching from a distance and he hurriedly went over and intercepted the diamond collector as he was walking out and he said, could I please, could I present the diamond myself one more time? And the collector agreed. Well, Mr. Winston pulled out the same diamond and he started describing his admiration for this particular diamond. And within minutes, they were signing papers and he purchased the diamond. And as the gentleman was walking out, he said to Mr. Winston, what just happened? Why was it so easy for me to say no to your salesman a little while ago while with you I purchased the diamond? Here's what Mr. Winston said. That salesman is the best in the business. He knows more about diamonds than anyone including me. And I pay him a large salary for his knowledge and his expertise and his ability. But I would gladly pay him twice as much if I could put into him something I have which he lacks. You see, he knows diamonds, but I love diamonds. That's the difference with a lot of believers. There are many Christians who know a lot about the Bible. There are many Christians who know a lot about God. But those who are going to be in the ministry of reconciliation, they have a passion for Jesus Christ. They love God. The love of Christ constrains them to give out this hope to the world, this ministry of reconciliation. You know, that's the responsibility of goodwill. Because we love Jesus to share him with the world around us with a passion, a passion that completes God's purpose in our lives. Let's bow in prayer this morning. As we bow today, I, I want to ask you this. Is there somebody you know who needs hope? Hope is our business. Maybe it's you. Maybe you say, Pastor, I do not have any hope today that I have eternal life. 
I'm not sure that if I died today that I'd be with Jesus Christ. Would you please pray for me? No one looking around. Would you just slip your hand up? Pastor, I'm not sure if I have Jesus Christ in my life. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you have somebody on your heart today. And as Mrs. Dewey in a second plays through a verse, you could kneel at your seat or come to the altar or pray as you sit. And pray for that person who needs hope today in your life. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend from high school. I don't know who it is, but God does. And God says that hope is our business. We, because we love him, are to give hope to the world. Father, would you work in our hearts this morning as we think of this ministry of reconciliation. As we think of our responsibility to share goodwill, I pray that you would help us to be vigilant about our work. Help us to redeem the time because we never know which day will be our last. And we never know which day will be the last day of those that we pray for. And so I pray this morning that you would work in our hearts and help us to lift names to you, souls to you, who need hope this morning. Would you work? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as Mrs. Dewey plays through a verse, you do what God wants you to do as you pray for reconciliation for others today. Would you come to the altar and kneel at your seat, however God lays it on your heart. Pray for people who need the gospel today in your life. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated for just a moment. <clears throat> I remind you of a couple of things. Uh, the 
planner that I told you about is available in the bookstore. We have evening service at 5.30 tonight, and then the events during the week, baby shower, youth activity. I'd like to end the service a little bit differently today. Uh, for the last, I think, eight or nine years, the Pastinas family has been in our church. And yeah, they're such a special family, and Miss Joanna has been, uh, she went back, her grandmother passed, and she went back to Mexico uh, about a year ago, and Brother Pedro and Mel have been searching God's will for their lives, and, and they're headed out this week to Los Angeles, Brother Pedro's got some opportunities there with some family members, and what I'd like to do is, is uh, for all who would like to today, many of you know Pedro, and you've known Joanna, and, and I'm going to ask Mel and Pedro to come in the middle, right? smack dab in the middle aisle there. Anybody who wants, just get a hand in there, get a hand on each other. Let's get a circle around them. Let's have a commitment prayer for these folks, okay, today. And let's pray for them as they uh, head out, okay? So just right now, anybody who'd like to pray with them, uh, just gather right around and squeeze in and let's be a family here today. I'll come in the back and put my hand on somebody and we'll all be connected here. Father, we thank you for Brother Pedro and Mel, Joanna. We thank you for this special, special family. Lord, we know that they love you dearly. We know that we will spend eternity with them. And yet today we have mixed emotions because though we wish them well and want the best opportunities for them, we're so sad to see them go. We love them. I pray your hand of protection and provision on Pedro and Mel as they travel. I pray your guidance and providence on Miss Joanna. And Father, we just embrace them with your love today. And we will continue to pray for them and love them no matter where they go, no matter where they are. And so we pray that you would guide them with your blessings now this morning. And as we dismiss, we thank you for who you are. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Make sure you give Brother Pedro and Mel a big hug. We'll see you tonight.